Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. This episode is very different from the normal Hospitality Maverick Podcast series. This was actually original a webinar organized by the lovely people over at BizSimply, who are the scheduling system that helps you save time and money. And they had an idea of bringing together their own Matt Coulthard and Rob Lilliard, the CEO and founder of uh, Yapster, which are the uh, internal messaging app that helps you get out to the frontline employees with the important messages you need to have and also connect with them. And then ourselves and me here at Hospitality Mavericks. And we found out there was a subject we needed to share with the world. And it was, in a way, a bit of a brutal subject. So we called it Face the Facts. And the Face the Facts is all about understanding where we are right now as an industry and why our model is broken. This pandemic has shown us a very clear sign that we have a broken model. We have a model that pre-pandemic always were very fragile and always were on the knife edge. And we discussed that in this podcast. How do we actually ask the right questions? Because we don't have the answer in this panel. But how can we write, ask the right question and build organizations that become more robust, more agile, more relevant, and can actually survive whatever they're going to be met with over the coming decades. How can we use this pandemic actually to create this kind of organization that thrives and survives no matter the conditions they're hit with? And I can tell you this conversation becomes very interesting and there comes up some very clear advice on what we think could be a route forward. And I think there is some very good insights and thinking you can use as you are looking at your organization and business model and thinking about what can I do to become an organization that can stand against the next door. So my suggestion is grab your notebook, your pen, your coffee and your headphones and enjoy. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Matt Coulthard. I'm a solutions advisor from Bazimply. Prior to working for Bazimply, I worked for Costa for around 15 years, 10 and a half of which I spent uh, with a franchise business. We did pretty much every role from barista up through management to operations. Um, so my background is, is heavily led from that and, and I use that knowledge and experience to um, advise our customers. Michael, Rob, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves because I'm sure you can do that best. So Michael, if you want to introduce yourself to everyone. Yeah, I'm Michael, the founder of Hospitality Mavericks, uh, born and raised into the industry that my mom and dad ran restaurants in the southern part of Denmark, uh, a small group, not a brand as we know them today, mom and pop shop. And uh, when I was 15, I was uh, told by my mom I need to lead the family business. And I went to work for McDonald's for, for a number of years, more than 11 years, both in Denmark and the UK. And I ran... A number of other operations as well. One of them is it's a cafe chain. We scale from four to 24 units uh, at a point. Um, so yeah, and then the last eight years been helping operators across Europe, trying to build organizations that, that can outlive uh, not only the leaders, but also many times the, the organization and trying to get that blueprint right for incredible organization that can actually maybe survive what we're seeing right now and that's 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 the interesting journey how can you create businesses as we're going to talk about today that can survive things like a pandemic which is new territory for everyone fantastic thanks michael and uh, rob oh hi everyone so my name is rob lydia and i'm one of the co-founders and the ceo at yapster Yaps is a mobile messaging platform um, that integrates with the best-in-class hospitality platforms. We're very proud to partner with uh, Bazimply, so we share customers in common like Notes Coffee. Uh, we also work for brands like Cafe Nero and Marsden's and Wagamama and various others, and then also um, some retailers like Next and Summers and uh, Vision Express. So we started the business five years ago because it, it became very clear that half the economy was running on, on WhatsApp 
because 80% of people working in frontline roles don't have a corporate email address and um, even more so don't have corporate devices typically or laptops. And so what effectively happened is those folks tended to use the personal smartphones that were that are now in everybody's pockets and the consumer um, networks and messaging products that developed over recent years to self-assemble workplace communication networks to talk to one another locally or often even at sort of area level. So Yapster is a company controlled alternative that fills that space. So connecting to underlying business systems and then connecting colleagues to one another for one-to-one -one or group communications. So we're fascinated constantly by the types of messages that leaders are needing to flow through our system or frontline colleagues are looking to push back to their peers or to leaders. And so it sort of echoes what Michael said earlier that we're clearly living through unprecedented times and um, we're seeing some amazing feats of leadership and innovation, technical and otherwise. And we're also frankly seeing, I guess, some parts of the sector maybe struggling to get their bearings and so hoping to uh, to share some of the good stuff that we're seeing and calling out some of the things that we think could, could be better through the course of this webinar. Fantastic. Yeah, I think I think that's the, you know a really good point to hit on this, that you know, the leaders out there are having to find different ways of delivering the role they provided previously um, to make sure that um, the business survives and can, can flourish once again. So, Michael, as you said, you know, we're going to be talking about facing facts today and, and, and yeah. how, how businesses can, can come out the other side of this really terrible and tough time you know in a, in a positive way and we, we were talking the other day about you know the business model within hospitality and you know whether that's broken and needs to change and how we can make it more sustainable moving forward and you know if you could just start us off and just give us some thoughts on that that'd be good yeah i think it is important to to acknowledge that this is a, a moment in history that you know it's going to be remembered we're going to be talking about this when we are sitting in a rocking chair somewhere and uh, very close to our last days been talking about that time the pandemic where everything shifted so this crisis had put you know countries in situations devastated you know businesses um, you know killed a hundred thousand people which is a very sad situation and it's absolutely um if not haven't devastated but very closely set hospitality and restaurant out of function it, it showed how narrow our margin was and how vulnerable we were as a business and nobody could have predicted that not the cleverest person in the world i'm not saying that but it definitely made me start thinking about wow we are we are living on an ihf edge and i knew i was talking about some of these things before that with people that you know we need to change this this is too difficult it's not the right way of running business we need to find new models we need to find a different way to make more profit in basically so you don't have profit you can't do good and then i think there's another element here that both business and people will not be the same after this event this is fundamentally shifting our ways we're gonna be living our life and and the outcomes we we actually don't know we're in the middle of it nobody can say that and and ever wherever we say on this webinar it's going to be our educated uh, guest but definitely i think there's a consensus around the table that we we need to, to change something we need to do something different because everybody if they're really honest and looked in the mirror instead of out of the window before the crisis in hospitality they'll also look at their own models and think it's it's a tight game. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do know what to do when it comes to rent review. I'm not going to know what I'm going to do because already we're struggling. Um, but again, it's all about behavioral change, isn't it? The consumer, everybody has talked about, has changed behaviors, and thereby the way they eat, the way they consume, the way they travel, everything is changing, and thereby also thereby the way we operate and the uh, the products and the the services the uh, all the experience bit has to change as well in hospitality. You definitely have to be questioning what people want. And, and, and the first of all, the first step is where we are now. People have to feel safe. They need to feel that this trust can be rebuilt with hospitality again. And this the trust thing is not just doing PPE and get all the signage right in your shop. It's actually getting them to understand that you are an organization that cares. And I think that's probably the most important message we have, that we can't continue just having a brand and a product. Uh, we actually need to create organizations that care. Most organizations actually cares. They just forget to tell that story and actually get that edge into everything they do and communicate it both internally and externally. So I think it's a, it's, it's an absolutely interesting time. And, and I think, I think the question is now what comes next? 
And how do I develop my business model? Because I think it's not just about the, the survival. I acknowledge that, and we all need to keep bank uh, money in the bank. Um, but there's also a question about how do I start now building a business that can, you know, survive the pandemic? Because there's no cure, there's no vaccine, so it's not going to go away. So how do we build business models that actually starts? building that new market or that new interaction with hospitality is needed brands experiences and i'm not saying that of course the market will be there'll be less competition because they're already disappearing but i think the the the, the most important thing is not focusing on that but actually focusing on what kind of value can i actually bring to my 7% of the market and and how can i create these fans that just loves what i do i'm not just a product i'm not just a transaction I actually connect with this. And I think that's what I'm seeing that needs to happen from a business model, but also maybe from a, you call it leadership philosophy, uh, uh, philosophy around how we, we, we scale these businesses. And that may be a question we can come back to, Matt and Rob, but I think there's definitely a question about scaling here. We've seen the consequences of now, the pandemic just wiped out massive organizations which you thought couldn't happen. They couldn't disappear. So how do we scale in the future? And uh, is there a question, which I've asked a couple of times before the pandemic, can you actually get a food business to a size where it's not, uh, it's not actually adding value anymore, both internally and externally, it's actually over its capacity because the mission, the vision can carry it. Maybe food businesses can't be as big as many other businesses. Uh, maybe maybe there is a, a loft to how big a food business can be. I know McDonald's is the, the proof of it can be big, but it's a very different business than many restaurant businesses because it's a logistic and property business. And uh, again, I think it's a very different product that many others are selling. So, yeah, I think there's some very big questions about what kind of hospitality world are we going to design? But I think and I believe it's going to be businesses, and I will give the word over to Rob, that exactly care for people, their customers, their communities and the planet. And that's what's going to be the core of their business. And on the back end of that, they're going to make some massive profit. I'm no doubt about that. Definitely. I think, um, I think the point you make there about the people in the organization is key. And I think, I think what, what people have realized more recently is this, this relationship they have with the business as a customer, as an employee, but then the business yeah. needs to understand their, their relationships with those different uh, elements as well. What do you think, Rob? Any any thoughts to add to? I mean, it, it's really interesting. I, I think uh, a couple of observations. Uh, first, first thing is to say, um, I actually sought Michael's advice fairly early on in the Yaps the journey, and the reason is because we're, of course, we're a, a secure and inclusive messaging platform, but we are, of course, a messaging platform. The most important thing about the messaging platform is the quality and the clarity of the messages flowing through it right? Like the, the thing that gives us sort of a pipe significance is what is what is that pipe transmitting? And one of the challenges we observed in the early days of Yapster's journey was that we'd have organizations would license our software because they knew they needed to engage people and they assumed they had a story to tell. And then it wasn't completely clear to me that there was in fact a powerful, compelling story to tell. And therefore, I sort of saw this sort of this this slight underutilization of the product, and that, that's thankfully transformed since. But one of my questions to Michael was: Everybody's talking about engagement. Everybody's talking about operational transformation. I'm not totally seeing it yet. Is that a problem in my platform that I need to fix through technology maturity, or is it a problem in the leadership community and the operating community, or is it a little bit of both? And Michael, again, I would toss that back over to you to opine on that in terms of what you've seen changes in the market and whether that change has been sort of uh, crystallized and accelerated by the pandemic. Adding on to, to Michael's point about um, if we want to get in and talk about what is the realistic potential of different types of businesses, these are these sort of scale and operations. I think one of the things that we're seeing in, in our customer base and the new customers that are coming into Yapster is we're seeing this sort of split, this divergence between businesses that are concluding that they're effectively entertainment versus businesses that are effectively essential services. So of course, if you're an essential service, then sort of repeatability and, and being affordable for lots and lots of transactions through a customer's lifetime is, is essential. If you're entertainment, then you clearly need to, to dazzle a customer and provide fair value, but not necessarily a low price. And Michael, as you were talking, I was thinking about Hollywood movies. 
Yeah. And of course, you do have blockbuster movies, but there's a point after which all of the movie going public have seen a movie. And then there's residual value from people that want to see Back to the Future for the 50th time or, or show the remake to their kids, Karate Kid or whatever. But actually that product has a sort of natural uh, point at which it tops out because the entertainment value is sort of defined by the novelty. And, and so I think at the moment, and there'll be lots of other strategic decisions that organizations need to make now that's been sort of brought on by this compelling event of the pandemic. But that seems to be one of the big ones. All of these brands that haven't decided yet whether they're an essential service hmm. or an entertainment are now really having to do so because it goes to strategy, it goes to price, it goes to optimal scale, it goes to how you internally and externally communicate. Um, so it is a fascinating time to be, to be in the industry. Definitely. And I think, so would you be saying to, to people right now, if you're talking to business owners, that that's, that's the message you need to start getting out to your customers that actually we are essential for you, whether you believe it or not, you know, this is, this is my product. Here's how it's changing. This is what I'm doing differently. So I, I just jumping quickly. And then I know Michael's actually got frankly more interesting thoughts than me on this. I think in a way like what we've, we've jumped to the sexy end of the analysis, yeah. um, the sort of the tip of the iceberg, right? Like the bits you can see, my suggestion would be, and, and of course, Matt, entirely up to you how you want to use the time on the webinar, but what's fascinating is looking at the, um, the concepts and the structure that sits below the tip of the iceberg, sort of under the, under the water. Um, when I've worked with Michael previously, a lot of what we talked about is just trying to get into, as we bring a new customer on, seeing if we can understand their place in the market, their strategy, the role that technology plays, and then eventually you build up and... and um, you'll then have hopefully meaningful, credible opinions on the, the bits that the customer can see and that they most enjoy talking about at conferences and, uh, and the like. Um, Michael, do you still have your, your sort of Mavericks framework where you typically go in and, and, and effectively audit an operation to see how clear the leadership team are on yeah. what they are and how they do it? So we, we, when we normally engage with people, we do like a, an organizational audit to, 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 we call it a maverick audit. But what we look at is all the elements of a business and a business has about uh, 16 areas in general when it comes to a hospitality business. And the first thing we look at is, of course, um, leadership and culture, because if that is broken, it doesn't matter how great tools I put into the people journey or the operation journey or what te technology Rob comes with or uh, you come with, Matt. It doesn't matter. It will break because it's, it starts with, um, of course, uh, team leadership or leadership. So what kind of level are the, uh, the leaders on? Uh, but what I think is, is very well, I've seen, you know, pre-pandemic, and I don't know if that's probably not changing is often when you come in there is um there is some company values and often if you asked let's say we had all hospitality ceos on this webinar and i asked them and i showed some uh, values behind me they will they would not recognize which ones were theirs or they would think that were their value because it's actually not lived into the culture and that's the first step we often take with them. And we call it that, you know, define your difference. And it's not a marketing activity. That's, of course, skills for marketing, but it's actually finding that shared banner, the team or the organization walk around, define what your purpose is. That's a misused word. But what? why are you here? What direction are you doing? Is everybody actually understanding that? Has that been communicated out to the frontline employee? And, uh, and I think... I think that's, again, that's where, you know, people do these kind of workshops, but they forget to implement it. And when you haven't implemented that, it comes a bit back to, I, don't, I think that's what Rob is circling a bit around, is that it becomes very difficult for your people to act according to what kind of experience you want to sell. Because most businesses out there would be what Rob calls an entertainment business. There will be people that is transactional and have some very, the price, and then it's very transactional and fast, and we all know who that is. Um, and they do that well, and they live it to the to the, the extreme. But then there's all the one where you actually have to sell uh, an engagement, entertainment. And I think one of the biggest problems is that people really don't understand what kind of behaviors and beliefs and expectation there is from them in the company. What is the company shared expectation behaviors and beliefs you need to live every day and uh, it sounds more complicated and more fluffy than it is but it's actually hardcore business because the businesses we've been involved in and the business i'm involved in besides operating consultancy business uh, like a little business called the bear kitchen 
and we've done this, it means that we're much more hands-off as leaders because people ex know how they expect you to behave. And then it's about getting consistencies across these behaviors. And then you start building this Patagonia kind of like culture because uh, Patagonia didn't just come up with a clever project, uh, product and marketing. It's actually their culture they're selling. And then they're telling stories around that. And I think that's where we need to start out because a lot of organizations have these stories. We don't need to save the world, all of us. We don't need to stop overfishing in the ocean. We don't need to stop hunger. It doesn't have to be these big statements, but it can be the small things you do in a community or what you do for your people inside your organization. You just need to find those behaviors and live them every day. And I think that's where culture comes in. And I think, I think because we were... We were driven by, by profit, which we should be driven by. No profit, we can't do good. But it became more about the PL and the next round of investment and became building a sustainable business that could outlast ourselves. And I think that's where hospitality turned a bit wrong. And, uh, and I think we will get back to that because we will not have a choice because that's what the, the employees and the customers want from us. And, and again, and again, and it comes back to what Rob talked about communication again. One thing is doing that, and it comes down to the leadership's ability to be able to communicate that and build that relationship through the organization, because that's what we do with communication. We build relationships. So a long and winded answer to it, but yes, we do do these audit. And the biggest missing link and gap we see is often there is no overall banner to march under as a team. It's just random things or oh, a strategy document only the exec team have ever talked about or did at a workshop on an away day. So that's that's what I normally would see in many businesses, not all of them. Some of them is also great. There's some great operators like I think Honest Burger, we all know them. They are very good at telling that story of what they're about and what they do well and why people love to work there. So that's a great example of somebody that's getting it right in my view. I've got another good example, um, Michael, if, if Matt's interested with, um, it's in the, the, uh, the bar, the bar sort of subsector, um, inception group. So they're a, a Yapster, um, Yapster organization. And, and my favorite example of what they did about understanding their mission and also understanding where to invest and where to cut in hard times is, um, did either of you guys see the news that as, um, as it became clear that there'd be a need for sort of some type of mandatory PPE in various parts of the consumer sector, reception yeah. group started looking into whether they could, could use like um, wartime gas masks in cahoots, their, um, their sort of 40s speakeasy format. And, uh, and they were using like um, beekeepers outfits in, uh, in the botan botanical gardens or uh, one of the brands. And they put, um, Victorian mannequins on the seats in their uh, Mr. Fogg's chain. And, and, and the idea was like, the point is in each case, that type of PPE is more expensive than latex blue gloves, right? So it's an investment in a time of general retrenchment. So like they've, I'm sure had to make very hard decisions, positively affecting the PL to to reset their business in, in the environment where falling revenues are affecting them as it is everyone. But what's really clear is the reason they did that is they understand that their mission is to create um, unique experiences, right? They are very much out and out on the entertainment end of the, of the spectrum. And they know that you would come back to an inception group location if you've got a special occasion. Um, you're seeking novelty and everything they do drives out or is intended to drive at giving these, these wonderful, unique experiences. And so they know a, as a leadership team, try not to cut things that undermine the novelty of what you're doing. But then what's really interesting from a communication and a strategic perspective is that then is able to cascade all the way through the organization. So, of course, you know, as you say, Michael, culture is what you do, not what you just put on the poster in the wall. Yeah. And so all of those micro decisions that are being made in real time day to day across the organization tend to, are more likely than not to be in keeping with that overarching mission because it's really clear what the mission is how that then affects operational decisions, how that affects prioritization and budgeting. And then sort of technology and other like minor operational things sort of sit underneath that in that sort of pyramid, that hierarchy of, um, of importance. And it's pretty cool. I mean, and, it, and you don't mind it as a technology company because the worst customer you can have is one that thinks that you alone are gonna transform their organization. 
what you want is they've got a clear vision for transformation and they know that your piece of technology is a critical component of that. Uh, and Matt, it'd be really uh, sort of really interesting to you having been both side of the fence to sort of know what the, the great power of technology is and where it's actually a limit. It's actually a limitation and, and organizations that are hoping, you know, any sort of tool on its own is going to transform their fate as probably wishful thinking. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think sometimes that can be the initial thought, though, isn't it? That, you know, I'm going to bring something in and it's going it's, to by itself, it's going to fix the problem. But but you're right, that has to be the ultimate purpose of that bit of tech. And it has to fit in with with the culture and the, the thought process of what's happening and why we're using it. Um, you know, often um, we talk to customers about um, managing their operations and doing it in, in a more efficient manner. And that's what we're there to help them do. Um, but the tech won't do that alone. You're right. There's people involved in that. And, the, and again, the communication, the message of of what this product is there for or what this tech is there for needs to be right along the line to make sure the actions are correct from those people that are they're delivering them on site every day uh, and then also you know you talk about leaders but there's it's not just the leaders at the top it's the leaders as you come down through the business and the messages need to be consistent from those people out to their teams as well and, and that goes back to the, the use of tech and how it's managed as well um, i think it's great that the, those the concept of having to to make those those um, environments more engaging as well now, you know, the, the, where people have really done that and adapted, you know, they're, they're obviously having a uh, smaller capacity in their businesses. So they've got to make, you know, more of what's in there and the people that they, that, that come into their businesses. Um, and that kind of moves on to the, the next point we wanted to talk about, which was the consumer behaviors as well. Um, you know, we're seeing people working from home far more often. So obviously the behavior of, of people is, is changing in terms of where they are and when they're spending their money and how they're spending their money. But um, how do you see businesses have reacted? Do you think, do you think on, a, on a whole business have reacted well to that change in behavior? Have they, have they pivoted themselves? Uh, and are you seeing those pivots becoming something more sustainable and something that's part of their business model moving forward? Or is it, is it something they'll, they'll let go of? I think let's just take a real life example. So I talked with Paul Hooker from uh, Boston Tea Party, the ops director, and they, they're regional and um, they turned on back. Yeah, that's now about four weeks ago, starting to click and collect and delivery. And, um, you know, they have some, some, some heavy fans because they are an organization that really cares about people, planet and the communities. And then they had some very clear principle. They both communicated to their staff, but also to their customer. How are we going to make decisions, as Rob said, in this different, difficult journey? And they found out what they already had was that they had a principle of make things better. So they just went back and looked at their, their values and their principles and start making decisions for that. And that meant that they didn't take away the, uh, the reusable cup. That's a great example. They actually kept on uh, saying that we're not going to give you a paper cup, even though we have found a way to serve your coffee that way. And in that way, they've been very creative by actually creating a story around that and sharing that locally. Maybe it hasn't been seen that much in London because I started looking at it because I had to interview Paul. And it's, in, it's interesting to see how they quickly they picked up their sales. They're not 100%, but they probably around the 60, 70%. I haven't checked in with him for a couple of weeks, but it's interesting to see that when you have local fans and what happens locally when you bring your your business back uh that they they haven't made discounts or done anything on the prices they just opened their doors again because people need a bit of their boston tea party fix it's just interesting and then i think you know i think there's been a lot of innovation happening and that's one of if there's a positive there's i've never seen things change as fast if they can keep on changing that fast hospitality will be a very good place in a couple of years. We will have been redefining this industry. But like, you know, home deliveries, you know, I, I one business I know really well locally to me, they went from one week to the other doing home delivery. Now they have survived just doing that and a bit better. They're performing better than they did having restaurants. They're now closing restaurants because they're just bad business and they're going to focus on developing the home market. So and that's a small operator. That's not a big operator. They are a four-unit operator. So it's just interesting to see that, you know, thinking out of the box or being forced to think out of the box actually happen. And then I think the last thing I thought when we talk about engagement is that a really savvy operator I've seen and talked with have been very good from the outset to get their staff involved in solving these problems. It has not been just the leadership team 
solving problems. They have understood that the solutions is not in the boardroom. They are actually out there. So we gonna engage more with them. They may be implemented technologies like Yapster. They may be started having actually more uh, productive team meetings. And that's, I can say that for myself. Funny enough, when we didn't have to meet up, we have much more productive team meetings because you just wanna optimize time on a screen. And you can't do all those things, run for coffee or be late. You just have to be there. So it's interesting to see that, you know, the engagement of teams and the really good operators, how they actually have leveraged that. And I think they're going to have, you know, people that's going to want to stay with them afterward. Because again, I think there's a lot of questions about if people want to return to hospitality as well. That's a reality right now. There's maybe no jobs, but there's also a reality that many of our beloved people that works in industry have gone home so that doesn't mean the uk they may mean spain other places italy are they going to come back um life has changed you know so as an operator we really need to understand again you know how we, we bring not only customers but employees back again so i don't think uh, of course price is always interesting but to answer your question i don't think price is gonna be uh, more important, I think we saw that. I think it was you, Rob, that mentioned it from time ago. That actually, and, and you can el elaborate a bit on that. But we didn't really see a change in uh, people's behavior going for price only. So when they had to treat themselves, they really have to. They want to go out and have the big show, and they're willing to pay for that if you deliver, of course. Yeah. The so there's data for decades of recessions that shows yeah. that in recessions. Um, affordable luxuries tend to go up. So most famously, I think there's a Harvard Business School uh, case study on lipstick sales in a recession decades ago. But that's held. And Matt, I think you've, you've said that um, things like cappuccino sales have tended to go up in the last couple of recessions um, for the yep. same, same reason. So it's actually, whilst economy, when economies are genuinely retrenching, it is true that customers become more price sensitive broadly, but there's certain categories where they actually become less price sensitive. And so you've got to really tune into understanding what the customer wants in, in the category that you're occupying. And in most cases, other than maybe some Michelin star restaurants, like a, a, a dining experience or a drink experience or a sort of coffee experience is, is broadly in the affordable luxury category. And Michael, I think because when we started talking about that, actually the, the other piece of research I found fascinating and um, I think we circulated something on LinkedIn about it was um, that in the 2008 recession, organizations that were that had risen to sort of a, their original success on the basis of a differentiated proposition i.e., not a cost leadership position that tried to pivot into becoming a cost leader i.e. trying to out discount brands that always had discounting in their dna were materially more likely to fail as an organization than organizations that still cut costs where they could but actually leaned into their existing point of differentiation so that's not to say that leaning into an existing point of differentiation is easy or protects you from the risk of failure. It's saying on a balance of probabilities basis, if you're not a discount brand, trying to lunge into being a discounter is usually the data says not the right thing to, to do. Um, and Matt, interestingly, to answer your original question from, from my perspective, um, in the technology world, we talk a lot about something called product market fit. It's this idea that you start building a, a software product and you grow modestly to begin with as people sort of buy into your vision and give you a chance when the product's quite nascent. And as the product and or the market matures, you reach a, a thing that venture investors call product market fit, which is where the market starts actually pulling the product out of you, like your sales accelerate faster than you can really explain. And that's because you found this thing called product market fit. And um, it's a very common phenomenon in the technology world. But I think in the in the food service world or the leisure sector more broadly, where there have been quite a lot of scale operations for a number of years now, I suspect that quite a lot of the current crop of executives have either never experienced or have forgotten what it feels like to go through that race to find product market fit cycle. And that is a bit of a learned skill. It's sort of like it's taking calculated bets based on the data not what you wish the world to be, but what your actual results are telling you it is. Um, and keep iterating until such time as the relevant numbers start changing in a positive way at a pace that you can't totally explain. Um, Matt, I know, I know you work with customers like all the way across the sort of size and sexual spectrum. 
but a lot of the coolest sort of high growth brands that I know that we work in common with will often sort of seek Presimply out. And I just wondered if you'd sort of seen that when you look at the stratas of your customers by size, if you were seeing that the more entrepreneurial ones, just in terms of the stage of their life cycle, were finding it easier to adjust to this new reality that means that their prior success might be invalidated and they now need to go through the process of finding product market fit again. Don't know if that's a trend. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think one thing is obviously it's 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 easier for those smaller businesses to to adapt and to change more quickly. You know, if they've got to change something at the front end or in how they're serving or how they're delivering their product, clearly when you're a smaller business, that's that's quicker and easier because you've maybe only got two or three locations, and when you're at scale, that can become far more costly and more of a challenge. Um, but yeah, I think. You know, the, the businesses that I've seen around me, I live in Southampton and uh, I'm a big craft beer fan. And, the, you know, a lot of the breweries, a lot of the tap rooms, the ones that reacted quickly and have started delivering different things in different ways um, have, have, have done really well out of it. Um, one customer comes to mind, um, Dirty Sick, who are a customer in common with yourself. So they they were doing their barbecue restaurant out in Surrey and you know, they've got quite big car parks. So during the lockdown, they were doing, uh, you know, collections. You drive in, open your boot up and the food gets put in the back. And um, I'm chatting to Bjorn the other week. He, he's saying that since they've reopened, actually the sales are better than what they were last year. And it's because those two models are working still together. Pe- some people aren't yet ready to come and eat in, in the location. Some people uh, want to stay at home. So he's, he's still being able to service both of those those markets. So yeah, I think where, where companies have been able to pivot and they're going to be able to maintain it, I think that's where you'll see you know, a fair amount of success and, and you know, continued growth. And, um, and, and Michael, I was listening to one of your podcasts last week, actually with your man from the Athenian, and he was talking about exactly that. And I think one of the, one of the things I found really interesting was when he was talking about, you know, being honest with the customers about the product and the price as well. So he was talking about a can of Coke, you know, customers know how much a can of Coke costs and, you know, they, they on Deliveroo on an app, they can go through and see all the different businesses. And, you know, if you wanted to, you could really cross-reference who's charging what, but even from a sitting in point of view, you know, we've got to start charging it and, you know, um, treating our customers fairly. And I think, I think that's an interesting point is that he seems to be doing well out of the market that they've delivered and, and the new locations and the, the way they've been trading as well. What do you think about that? I, I think uh, I was thinking exactly on that interview before when you, you went down the line. And what I think it's interesting, Matt, is that um, it's a bit like we forgot that, you know, even pre this pandemic, we are starting to get what I call savvy consumers. They can figure it out. They know it's you for real, if you care. And I think, people will remember you will and we all can remember that uh, some organizations within or without hospitality they had done some incredible times they will be remembered 20 years from now there'll be stories about they went in helped the nss or they helped the homeless or whatever they did in this period and that will be remembered because they cared about something bigger than that and i know i'll keep on coming back to that and i think that will again and then they you know Besides that, they were incredible at launching new revenue streams. And, and you know that both of you from a tech product point of view, if the, 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 the product doesn't get the revenue, you need to, to pivot. You need to find new ways of uh, putting your product out there. And I think it's been a bit, we haven't been forced to in the industry maybe, but now it's so interesting to see that, you know, before people had one in, uh, revenue stream, maybe have three now. And now they need to go and find that balance because you know what takes off in a pandemic doesn't mean you sell in normal or new normal times where people can go back in and dine. But I think it's going to be, you know, you will see people selling saucers, you will see home kits, and we see some will have massive success still with home kits, and other will not. There will be new market entrants. You know, uh, uh, think about the plant-based space where you have like all plants, and you have restaurants now trying to penetrate that. You have all your vet boxes. You have Leon going national. With something they just paused now to come back again so they probably learned something and now they're gonna re-attack the market um and it's interesting to see leon has become this digital retailer instead of high street brand they don't even talk about that anymore so it's, it's incredible uh, to see that pivoting going on but also the honesty you need to have with the consumers because they they aren't they know as you say you can't uh, just hide these things anymore and then you need to to find one thing is of course you have to to charge what you need to make money 
and also but also you need to develop some products you can charge the, the prices for you have to have a, a really good product when it comes out on the other side i think so yes yeah, so i think it's super interesting i agree with you matt that's going to be a whole lot of innovation going on still and uh, and that's what we need uh, to to take the, the sector and i think technology is going to have a massive role in automating you know the uh, re repeatless monotone task managers are doing and you'll see layers of management disappears because you can't afford having these massive structures and you need to put power out to the individual restaurants if you're a big operation and you can't afford to uh, have big head office costs and so on and uh, so yeah that's going to be some interesting ways to see how they just not only the business model and the the pivoting to the consumer how you're pivoting you your way you operate your organization and still being able to to maintain an operation with high consistency i i think that's actually one of the things i'm seeing is that's actually the hardest thing i i it seems to me that like if you bring in capable technologies, say simply to help you understand your people situation and making sure you're getting the right people in the right place at the right time and cost, obviously apps, they're helping communicate across an organization to streamline operational workflows that otherwise have got so much friction in them at twice the cost they should be. All of that stuff I think is fairly clear. Like it's not, it's not easy to implement and, and drive operational transformation if you've never done it before, but there are a lot of executives that have done it before where they haven't. You can bring in a specialist like Michael, like you and your, your team. Like, I think the thing that's hard now is having made those savings, even if, even if organizations wouldn't have had the courage to do it pre-pandemic, kind of the pandemic is forcing people to make the operational savings. And it seems to me the big challenge is now there's a huge temptation to try and be a discount led offer because you deep down in your heart don't feel comfortable trying to capture a premium price because you don't really know what you could do that is worth it. And that, that failure of imagination is scary for some and is an amazing opportunity for, for others. Because if you can, if you can combine operational transformation, intelligent use of technology to take out unnecessary costs, and then have the imagination to reinvest some of those savings into the non-tech bit of it. Where's the magic? That is a spectacular opportunity. Um, I, I sadly don't know where the greatest opportunities are in that sense, but I'm excited about sort of making our contribution on the, on the operational transformation side and then providing a vehicle so that those visionaries that do unlock the new winning propositions for the post-COVID customer can do their thing, right? That, but that does seem the side. I don't know if you guys are seeing that. Like, it does benefit us as, te us as technology companies because we naturally drive savings through automation and efficiency. But everybody at the moment seems to be lunging towards the cost saving side of the equation without thinking about the reinvestment in value adding activities. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's the natural reaction, isn't it? It's, it's uh, Michael. You mentioned about surviving. You know, it's it's how do, how are we going to survive? You know, if you if money's tight at home, what do you do? You look at where you're spending money, and that's that's you know obviously going to be the first place to do it. But you're right. I think it's where can we save money, but where can I invest money? Uh, you know, if it, if it's, if we're talking about your house, it's it's putting some you know some insulation in the roof or something to save on your, your heating bills it's exactly the same in the business like where can i invest something that's gonna then deliver more value or more money um and i think you're right i think putting putting that back into the products putting that back into how you're delivering the products as well especially for those guys who have pivoted into the delivery and the, the collection one of the biggest challenges in that space is how do i make sure my product gets from here to the customer tasting just as good as it would going from the kitchen to the table. You know, that's not an easy ch like challenge. And obviously there's plenty of businesses out there who have overcome that massively and with, with Deliveroo and Uber Eats um, expanding so rapidly, clearly that's that's had to advance quite quickly as well, I think. But um, Michael, you're right. I think you mentioned some of the, the kind of make at home, eat at home kits as well. I think those have been pretty successful because uh, you know it goes back to Rob's point of entertainment. You're linking those two things together. There's there's the the quality of the product, but then you've got your own entertainment factor because you're going to try and make it yourself in the kitchen. Uh, whether that goes off well or not, you know that's down to the individual. But I think it's I think those are those are really interesting ways of doing that as well. Uh, I was just going to ask a point on the, the the pricing side of things and the the, the VAT breaks and the, the the cuts for the for the businesses. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think businesses should be delivering those back to the customers? Do you think that they should be um, utilizing that in what Rob just mentioned there in terms of taking those savings and delivering it back into the business? 
So this is like this is a Marmite question, of course, but uh, I'm going to take the position that the industry needs every pound they can to reinvest in creating the new industry. So I actually don't think it's go 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 back to the the consumer because actually there's no never been more money floating in society than us now. I know there's people that's harming. And they are getting you know, the voucher scheme coming. And I think I know some of the big ones went out to do that, but they would have done it. They are cost drivers. They they drive costs, as Rob said. That's what they do. Scale It's the Walmart model. Uh, you are a cost driver. And I think they would have done it anyway. They just did it behind the uh, the VAT thing. And I think these money, as uh, Rob just said yourself, need to be reinvested into these organizations. So there's a life and jobs beyond this. And they need that money every penny it's absolutely scary and when i like a lot of my friends have never really put their head around what actually an, a restaurant does on the bottom line but you're happy with having two percent before the pandemic that's great result you know majority of restaurant organization were in dire minus before this and many people think they are earning a lot of money but they're in and out of administration all the time as i say that means you have no money and you don't have much you know Bible rooms. I think it's very important to think about this money. Of course, it's spend it in the right way. That's always a question, but I don't think it's something that has to go back. It was to save the industry. It was not to give cheaper prices. And cheaper prices is the, the death spiral and keep on discounting, as Rob said before as well. Discounting is the devil route to failure. It's a death spiral for any organization. I've seen it time and time, and we've seen it again and again. And I'm a bit, you know, I, I think we need the eat out scheme, but I'm also a bit nervous about the expectation that will set with the consumer. But let's let's reality show the, the real uh, facts of this. But uh, you can almost set an expectation. A month is almost enough to set the expectation that I can eat at 50% every every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then some operators have been very clever about making fan clubs that you need to get part of this fan club. And then this fan club will continue after the voucher scheme, which is clever. I think that's clever on, on, on low operations days anyway. But I'm, you know, again, I'm, I've never been a, a big fan of discounting because I, I believe that you can only do that when you're a customer and not many organizations are a cost drive when they would food. More that has consequences. Yeah, it's it's so it's so true. Um, so we work with a lot of really large organisations because clearly at the biggest scale, WhatsApp fundamentally fundamentally doesn't work. Is risky for lots of reasons, work life balance, data privacy, whatever. And we love working and we're grateful to work for large organisations. Um, a sort of personal passion project is helping like exciting entrepreneurial brands look after their families for having taken risks and setting up like. The, the super brands of the future and for creating jobs and like building businesses at that sort of like a handful of sites or even a single site. And for those organizations, like I, I understand, like started, started Yapster, like kind of know the, the some elements of the entrepreneurial journey. And I know when you're driven by passion in the early days in particular, or in a time of crisis, the temptation to work for nothing the the temptation to work for negative returns is extreme because you're confusing passion with profit and my guy might be ripping off one of your lines but it is seriously tempting and um i find that really alarming to some extent because you can see like you know it's it's, it's almost like like they teach lifeguards almost to like stop drowning people um dragging them down too because in the sort of um, in the panic they start sort of waving arms around and it actually makes them harder to save and you can see entrepreneurial people sort of figuratively doing that, trying to find their lifeline in the businesses and chasing discounting, going for the marginal customer rather than building a rock solid proposition for the right customer, even if that's fewer customers paying more money, is actually really dangerous. And I'm not just saying it because it's like an easy soundbite on a webinar. It's actually dangerous for entrepreneurial people in operational businesses and um just on a human level, it's, it's hard to watch. Like it, it will be the right thing for a subset of operators. So I hope I don't sound too preachy. But for a decent number of operators, it, 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 will, it will cause personal hardship, you know? And, and so it's something that I would just beg entrepreneurs to like operator entrepreneurs, cut costs, intelligent use of technology, all that stuff. Then take a breath, think about what either does make you special or could make you special 
and then like please please god like lean into that and and then you know with luck and hard work and some inspiration you'll pull out of this and emerge as a winner post covid sorry that was a bit intense but it's something i feel really strongly about and i know you do too right michael yeah i think it's, it's on uh, rob because um yeah there's so many there's uh, if i think it doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or any industry when you know and you love what you're doing you sometimes you put your own livelihood uh, the risk and if the, the funders or the more people disappear because they have uh, starved themselves to death uh, it can have even bigger consequences for for jobs and so on so i agree and i think uh, you know we have to go away from one of the biggest learning uh, working a hundred hours a week for the profit and why are we keeping all these businesses alive we can't make them them profitable then there's something really radical wrong and we have to work like that and it, and i think that needs to stop because it's destroying and, and and then we have a mental health crisis just uh, waiting around the corner not just national but i think industry we're going to see you know really bad things happening and we did a poll during the last couple of weeks on what people want to talk about it's mental health and how do i keep myself strong in in all this and and i think it starts with the individual and we, and we need these entrepreneurial organizations to to reinvent the the sector in a way we need everyone to think in a minute but if we we, may, we squeeze the penny so much we can't live and i think you is spot on when you're saying rob and that's the last thing i'm going to say about this is that you say it's to find really want to pay for your service and have less of them that actually buy the, a hybrid sale from you yeah i think i think you're right and i think that it's those people who who care about your business who will come back time and time again without thinking about it and and they'll do it for the right reasons as well i think how how would you advise people to to get that message to their customers you know it's their responsibility to make sure i'm here tomorrow as much as it is the businesses you know the customers have a really big part to play in that so how would you how would you get that message across to the guys rob i guess you know that's maybe um for, for you to start with so um, clarity of mission, clarity of purpose. Make sure you've got the right people on the bus because communication is critical. But um, we did a, a, a webinar with um, a guy called Scotty Mills that, that was um, like did like leadership development and training for 6,000 more Royal Marines, like sort of coach Gareth Southgate's England World Cup team. Amazing, amazing guy. And maybe we can put this in the webinar notes or find some way of circulating it after this. But um, Scott did a session with us around operational excellence and communication under pressure, but he was at pains to say none of these techniques will work with the wrong people on the bus. Right? So first thing is like clarity of mission. Second thing is right people on the bus. And then after that, you need inclusive, effective communication technologies. Other platforms are available as well as Appster, but like you need to be able to then tell that story to your people so that your people then in addition to your window dressing and your print literature and your other marketing channels can reinforce that message to customers. I mean, you mentioned the point earlier about like, how do you mark up Coca-Cola when it's a commodity, it's a great brand, but it's a commodity product from a reseller perspective. Well, like, you know, what about all these funky handmade either in-house or, or locally procured lemonades that people are selling now for premium markups? Mm. Right? like there's loads of stuff you can do you mentioned craft beer earlier like it's higher price but it's got it's got a novel taste it's got a novel story so again you can capture more more value so there's lots and lots of things you can do if you can like be clear on what your options are and then authentically tell that story to the right people again i'm at risking sounding a bit preachy again but i actually think it's pretty straightforward but only if you can get clear in your mind what your strategy is and then what your story is and then it's just having the discipline to to communicate it and execute it that's that's discipline right like anything else in life that's hard once you've got a clear plan yeah definitely i think i think you hit the nail on the head there you know i could i could probably tell you the the ethos of my local brewery as, as well as they could because it's just everything they they do and talk about and you know you, you live and breathe it as a customer when you go in there as well um, we've had a question come in and this is something we, we kind of talked about the other day as well when we're talking about um, cost and price um, with regards to the relationship with the landlord as well. So, um, you know, obviously landlords are um, a huge part of that, that process in the, as, of the hospitality industry. Um, how, how can uh, they help uh, or how can we get them to make things more attractive and how can we get that balance better? How can we address that, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think it's, it's quite simple. It's also acknowledge the customer. If you're a landlord, you have a customer and that's um, restaurants, for example. And um, they are in a, in, a, in a very difficult situation. They don't have the money they had when you signed the contract. Brilliant to see that the, the Queen's, the Crown Estate, uh, the Queen's property portfolio went out the other day or last week saying that they're going to do a turnover rent because that's definitely a lifeline. I think that's where we're going to go. Well, why sign up to a property for 20 years? That's wild in my world. I wouldn't sign up that in any of the things I'm involved in. Um, and we are, we are practical right now negotiating a lease where we, we talk about, you know, the only thing we talk about is turnover rent and what, how often should it be renewed monthly, quarterly, six months, because everybody's in the same boat and come from the same perspective that we need to, uh, we ha- we need to make sure we we can stop this if it's not working because it doesn't matter you can't pull the hair of a bull man and I think uh, the reality is that you know it would be great to be able to pay the landlord you should pay your bills there's no doubt about that but the reality is just it's so out of control that we need you know a way and then I know there's a reality that's called mortgages and loan and so on I'm not saying it's an easy question but I think the Crown Estate is leading a the solution. When it comes to uh, a way to find find a way to survival, um, but yeah, let's see. It's 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 a tough game, I think, because uh, everybody has so different leases as well. That's not like one lease that looks similar, and every landlord have different philosophies about their portfolio, and they have b- different commitments. So I totally understand that and I appreciate that. But I think I think it'd be interesting if you can, as a landlord, go down the route of uh, revenue based rent. I think you will have. Uh, customers survive out on the other side and will be good fate to you to years to come because the high street is going to be hard as we go forward. I, I agree with that. And actually, I would, I would add to it, um, again, it's about having a business plan and being uh, disciplined about sticking to it. Um, one of the things I'd recommend anybody to do in the, in the sector is um, Google loungers uh, IPO prospectus read the loungers IPO prospectus. It'll detail all the risks in the loungers business. It will detail their sort of operating model, including high level financials. One of the things you'll see in the loungers IPO, the prospectus, which is one of the reasons it was a successful IPO, um, of course had difficulties like everybody has that's a public stock, particularly in the consumer sector. But um, they, they talked about being very clear in their mind what the rent they're willing to take on is as, an, as a percentage of their expected sales. So if you're disciplined, you actually can effectively set turnover-based rents, even if the landlord isn't willing to. It's different if you're already trapped in an unsustainable rent. And I think the things that Michael suggested are absolutely right. Where you're looking at expanding or looking at how you thrive after this crisis, it seems to me, albeit as an ex-lawyer turned tech geek, not as an operator. So I know I don't speak with quite the same authority, but being an ex-corporate lawyer, I do like IPO prospectuses and what they can tell you about market norms you actually can impose your turnover based will on the market, at least as it relates to new opportunities. The question is, do you lose your discipline in the pursuit of growth if the market comes back and saddle yourself with uneconomic uh, operating costs because you didn't fully think through your business model or did and then lacked the discipline to stick to it? And that's something that each business owner or leadership team needs to decide and then succeed or fail on, on the quality of their decisions. But um, well worth reading the loungers IPO if you're interested in, what's a sensible um, property ratio to expected revenue. Great little tip there. And, you know, especially for people out there who are looking for, that, you know, something, those small margins, there's going to be something in there that you'll, that you'll pick out and will help you. Um, I think we've pretty much come to the end of uh, our time. So um, I don't want to take up too much more of Michael and Rob's day. Uh, they're busy guys. Um, and we've answered uh, the question that we had in. We didn't have any others. And there was a few that I had already prepped. So I think we pretty much covered those. Um, guys I just want to thank you uh, so much for your time again um, and um, we'll try and get some links to those things that we've mentioned there in the in the blog or the post that we put out with this as well yeah if you uh, do want to listen to this again you can as we've recorded it um, please share it with uh, friends colleagues if you think there's some information in there that I think would be useful to them you know hopefully there's some insights in there that that would be appropriate and something that you, you, you know you know people could do something with so Gents, thanks very much for your time. It's very insightful. I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, absolute pleasure. See you again. Thank you 
so much for organizing this panel, this simply. And also thank you to you, Matt, and uh, Rob for being so uh, switched on and sharing your great insights and understanding about where you see the industry. And I'm sure that people will go away here with, with some, some deep reflections about how they will develop and operate their businesses going forward. And there's no doubt about the four learnings here. What set a clear direction, use your purpose and storytelling, get the right team in place, the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, build and create a culture and use technology to make these three things happen faster and more connected. So please share this episode with anyone else you think that will benefit from it. Rate it, like it, and let us know what you think. And if you want to get more of these kind of conversations and also maybe leadership tools you can use in changing your business, you should go to hospitalitymavericks.com and sign up to our newsletter or download our free tools. Thanks for listening and be maverick.